Welcome to the Bar Variations Podcast. Go behind the bar with me, your host, Michelle Duvall. As I interview leaders in the industry, we'll talk about how bar impacts their lives, what's inspiring them today, and take the conversations that usually stay in the studio out into the community. Grab a seat because there's plenty of room at the bar. This podcast is sponsored by Point Studio. They are the best gripping socks for bar, yoga, dance, and basically all studio workouts. These socks are the next best thing to being barefoot. And listeners of the Bar Variations podcast get 15% off their order with the code BARVARIATIONS. That's code BARVARIATIONS, all one word, to receive 15% off your next purchase at pointstudio.com. Welcome to episode 18 of the Bar Variations podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Duvall. If you're tuning in for the first time, welcome. If you are a, I was going to say seasoned, but if you're a longish time listener, there's only 18 episodes, so plenty of time to catch up, binge, hear stories from the industry's leaders and all of the voices that they bring to the table. Now, it's June, we are still in quarantine, and going into phase one, phase two of opening of certain businesses. I know some states are now opening studios with limited capacity, and later on, you're going to hear an interview with me and Crystal Widman talking about the shutdown of her studio. Also, right now, going on are the protests of George Floyd's death been very intense, very heated, and I'm wishing safety for everybody, and I want everyone out there to know my mission is to listen, support, show up, and walk the walk. So I invite you to join me. I'm not going to talk a lot today. We are digesting a lot of media. Things are changing and happening and escalating, de-escalating by the minute. So instead of inundating you with more of my voice, I will let you listen to the interview up next. So stay tuned, reach out, join the Bar Variations VIP group. It's a great place where you can share your support, share your story, your inspiration, your challenges, all of it. We're here for you, and let's keep raising this bar together. If you're a certified hashtag bar addict like I am, then you can definitely appreciate a bar-inspired graphic tank top or sweatshirt. Good news. For those of us who can't get enough, Bar Goods Co. will add an extra bit of fun to your workout with apparel designed for and inspired by the bar. And if you need that extra little bit of motivation to get yourself to class, then you'll be happy to know that they use only the softest fabrics available to help you express your love of bar to the world check out their go-to line of screen printed goodies included workout tops, sweatshirts, and even infant onesies for bar addicts in training. And guess what? Listeners of the Bar Variations podcast can use the code VARIATIONS25 to take 25% off their first order. That's code VARIATIONS25 in all lowercase letters. Visit bargoods.com now to start shopping. Welcome back, listeners. I'm here with Crystal Widman, owner and teacher at Y2B Fit in Philadelphia, PA. Crystal started teaching yoga and bar as a side hustle back in 2008 because she loved the way moving the body made her feel. 
fast forward six years later to the birth of Crystal's son in 2014, she began to get really serious and passionate about sharing health and fitness with others. Crystal holds an exercise science degree from the California University of Pennsylvania, MED in counseling psychology from Temple University. She is also a registered yoga teacher. Her 200-hour certification with Yoga Alliance, certified personal trainer from NASM, certified women's fitness specialist from NASM, nutrition education trainer from the Nutritional Education Institute, and Ayurvedic lifestyle consultant from the American Institute of Vedic Studies. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That's a lot of things. Welcome, Crystal. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yes, as you can tell, I like going to school and taking classes. <laughs> you are a student. I love it. And, but it's all like the, oh, also listeners, welcome my little one. He's making his debut on the podcast today as well. But, <laughs> but yes, uh, reading down the list of all your amazing trainings and qualifications. Uh, when I got to Ayurvedic, every time I see the word, I'm like, I start to twitch. I'm like, am I going to say it right? Am I going to say it right? <laughs> The tongue twisters, right? Yeah, <laughs> too funny. One of those. Um, but you're also my second Philadelphian on the podcast, and I won't bore the listeners again with the rundown of my favorite Philadelphia junk food. Instead, I will make them listen to your favorite Philadelphia food spots. So if you have any favorite guilty pleasures, which Philadelphia is very famous for, or just fun places you like to eat in Philly, I'm going to make all the listeners listen for my own indulgence. <laughs> sure. So um, I wouldn't say I have a lot of favorite junk food spots, <laughs> but I do love the Philly vegan scene. So mm-hmm. um, veg, of course, is probably my favorite place to eat. We go every there every year on our anniversary. Um, but uh, also V Street, which is um, in the same company as veg and they have really great vegan food. I would say that's the place I love to go probably on the more regular. It's a little bit more affordable than veg, mm-hmm. although veg mm-hmm. food is great. Um, but I would say those are probably my two favorite spots. Um, it's it. really to eat. Um, I'll take it. Know, like don't eat meat. So not into the, um, like not into the cheesesteaks? No. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> not, but um, Blackbird has great uh, vegan cheesecakes, which are really yummy. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. You know what? I always, I, you know, this is a total indulgence for me, but also sidebar, I, I think Philadelphia has the best food scene in general, even better than New York. Um, and I've always loved you know, when I lived there and then visiting, I just think they have some of the best food spots. It's actually the first place that I learned what a vegan was working at a gelato place that unfortunately doesn't exist anymore. But um, somebody said they were vegan and I served them something non-vegan because I thought it meant vegetarian. I was soon schooled and I was like, well, I'll never forget what a vegan is. So, <laughs> and I have to say they've had the best vegan restaurants in around before I think any other major city because that's how good the Philadelphia food scene is so thank you for sharing that sure yeah Yeah, there he is he's like I like food too guys (laughs) all right so enough about food and my own personal love of Philadelphia I want to hear 
more about your journey with movement. So could you tell the listeners how you got started with movement? Were you a young kid? Was it later in life? Can you share that with everyone? Sure. So I really started um, with movement probably as a kid. I was into sports. So um, I played soccer and softball from, I would say, probably early on in elementary school. Um, Played through high school, but did not play after that. So I wasn't, you know, someone who went on to college for sports or anything like that. But I did, um, after high school, found yoga actually in my, I think my second semester of college, I took it as my phys ed course. And I had never really done yoga before. It was something that I always wanted to try, but um, hadn't. And I was just kind of blown away by the experience of like, you know, how it made me feel not just to move, but also like, you know, mentally how it made me feel. I always had a lot of anxiety and it seemed to really help me with that. So um, that course that I took in college, I think I was 19 at that point, really kind of like opened up my world so to speak, to yoga. And I started doing it really regularly at that point. And um, yeah, continued on with it from there. So definitely played sports, but I wouldn't say I was like, you know, really into sports. It was more something I did for fun. (laughs) Sure. Yeah, that was me. I have dabbled in all kinds of sports, including softball, basketball, soccer. I'm not sporty. I was a kid doing cartwheels and in the side so I'm I'm totally with you but you know that love of movement movement's movement right and it feels good and finding yoga at such a young age because 19 is so young that what a great thing to find in a very crazy time in life of college and finding yourself but being able to take that with you throughout every stage and um you know reduce the stress because college is stressful and to be able to have a practice is quite, quite awesome. And I think more and more you see it now, but definitely when you and I were in college, it was not the norm to be taking yoga as a phys ed credit or, you know, having it a part of your daily life. No, not at all. I think back then nobody really knew what yoga was. And I think they thought that I was like, kind of like weird or different that I was doing yoga. So it's definitely interesting how that's kind of evolved over time for sure. Yeah, it definitely, you know, and not that it wasn't around, but it was like very like crunchy granola hippie and I was like, oh, yoga, whatever. Like just seems like kind of something else. And, you know, the beauty of things becoming a little bit more mainstream or more accessible, um, more people can benefit from it and gain the benefits from it. So I think it's pretty awesome that schools, even now preschools are offering yoga to kids. And even now during the pandemic, the virtual yoga classes, and it's so great. Such a great um, anxiety reducer, stress reducer. Um, Now through college, you did not pursue movement in the traditional sense, but exercise science, um, Can you explain that to our listeners a little bit more? You know, it sounds obvious, but could you explain what you had to go through? Because I think it is a little bit of a different side of movement that a lot of movement people don't get. Yeah, no, for sure. So, I mean, there's definitely like some kinesiology courses or movement Mm -hmm. courses involved, but a lot of it's more based on like the physiology of exercise 
and what actually happens in the body when you're moving. So like the physiological changes in your breathing um, and in your muscles. And it's just, it's much more science-based. Like it's like, mm-hmm. just like as exercise science is termed, it's like the science of movement, which I think is really, really interesting to learn and understand like what happens in the body. It's kind of a lot like nutrition, right? So in nutrition, you learn right. about the science of how food affects the body. So this is more like the science of how movement affects the body and what actually is going on in the body when you do different types of exercise. So I think it's, you know, a really valuable part of like prescribing exercise plans to Mm -hmm. um, anyone who has, you know, certain goals that they want to reach or anything like Mm -hmm. that, really kind of like thinking about it from a physiological perspective rather than just kind of like, okay, we'll do these moves or whatever, which I mean, that can be valuable too, just to move because it feels good. Nothing wrong with that. But um, it's just nice to kind of like have that understanding of what actually is going on in the body. Yeah, the what, exactly. The, the what and the why, right? And we get so caught up as fitness instructors and teachers of, you know, the, the actual move, like, how do I do this move better and with more weight or more flexibility or more, 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 whatever. And you kind of forget, like, there's things happening whether you're doing more weight or more or a deeper plie or a bigger whatever more push-ups like there's other there's still benefits happening behind it right and so having that science background I'm sure is super informative and just adds to the richness of your knowledge of (laughs) what's actually going on and it takes I think a little pressure off of like the choreography for a fitness instructor or like the programming, right? You know, it's like prescribing is more, more important than I think combining two moves together, if that makes sense. No, that makes total sense. And that, like, like you said, like, it's more about, you know, it's not about how many reps can I do or how much weight mm-hmm. can I lift? It's like, actually a lot of times it's harder when you lift less weight or you do things slower because you're actually like doing them the proper way. So it's really, you know, nice to be able to think about it from like that scientific perspective rather than just kind of that like motivational, like I want to do more and lift heavier and, you know. Yeah, like exactly, exactly. And then, and you know, and then with that said, it's like when you start teaching the general population, how much of that goes out the window? Maybe you can speak upon that, like having so much anatomy and science backgrounds do you find that helps or sometimes hinders your own teaching when you're just trying to explain to your, your classes, like, well, here, you know, your femur and like, you start to get all scientific. Like, can you maybe share of like how much you can kind of throw out the window or how much it actually plays into your daily teaching? Yeah. I would say in my daily teaching, I throw all of it out the window. Um, <laughs> yes. Thank you. I really, I no, because like most people have no idea what the names of the muscles are or the bones. Correct. Correct. Like, I just feel like, you know, I'm usually saying like, I try not to even use work terms like tricep or bicep. I'm like the front of your arm, the back of mm-hmm. your arm, like, mm-hmm. because I think for a frame of reference, people understand that where if you're using scientific terms they're just like what what's that where is that like (laughs) right right well and I and when I teach my own trainings I I say the same thing I'm like this is for you and for no one else like Mm -hmm. this is for your toolbox to inform your teaching it is not for your clients to necessarily learn now I'm not saying that I don't throw some terms out there but it's with you know 
Can you feel the back of your arm, your tricep bend? And, you know, I, I add it into a sentence. So maybe one day they can tell their doctor, hey, my tricep hurts. Yeah. <laughs> like, instead of like, my arm hurts. Like, well, your arm is pretty long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and I, thank you for saying you throw it all out the window because I think we get caught up as teachers thinking we don't know enough in order to teach what we know. You know, I think we can get intimidated by maybe not having that knowledge or maybe having too much knowledge or being scared to do anything because, well, I don't have a degree in this or whatever. So, you know, I appreciate your honesty of throwing it out the window, but also, yeah, using it for, it's for you. It's for your own personal use and how you teach and it will show up in other ways, that knowledge, which I think is pretty awesome too. Yeah, no, for sure. You're absolutely right. I think, you know, when, when I teach a class, I want it to be about the people there, not about me being like, oh, look at all I know. And, you know, I can tell you all this stuff about science. And I think they're just like, I want a good workout. So I yeah, think. Yeah, exactly. Like, I just want to move. And what you said mm -hmm. before about like the yoga, like feeling it felt good for you. And that's why you got into it. And sometimes when we're teaching, you forget like why people start. And sometimes it's just to, it feels good. And that's okay. It's good to feel good. <laughs> yep, absolutely. <laughs> that's so great. So, um, so you graduated with a million amazing things. When did you actually get your yoga training? I did my yoga training in 2007. I think I, I started it in 2007. I think we finished okay. in 2008. Um, it was like winter to spring. It was like back then, I don't know about for you, but or when you did it, but my yoga teacher training was really long. Like now they seem to be really short, but mm -hmm. I think my training was like nine or 10 months long. And I feel like now mm -hmm. they're like four or five months long just because, you know, they're, you know, they condense them more over weekends and ours was kind of drawn out like over mm -hmm. several months. Yeah. I tell people all the time, I'm like, gone are the days of long trainings without modules because I did my Pilates training and it was o over a year. Mm -hmm. And um, when I did my yoga training, I did mine in 2016 and it was 200 hours, but it was a month intensive, which was crazy, which was great, but it was crazy. It was, I mean, you're, you just kind of like, you, you walk in and you're like, I don't know what to expect. And then you walk out like cross-legged and floating and you're like, oh, it's amazing. And then like life just smacks you in the face that next hour and you're like, oh, okay. I'm back to, <laughs> it's like, no, that's wow. intense. I it was intense. <laughs> it was intense, but it was it was geared towards actual school teachers and being able to have the summer off, right? So I had a lot of school teachers in my my group, and um, yeah. Anyway, so having that's it's an extensive training, and so were you doing your counseling psychology degree then, or was that before? No, it was at the same time. So I was getting that degree between 2006 and 2008. So when I was in grad school, I did yoga teacher training. Um, okay. My second year of grad school, I actually um, had, you know, grad school student loans or a lot. And mm -hmm. so I used part of one of my student loans to do my yoga teacher training. Um, really for myself, I didn't even know if I wanted to teach. It was just I found yoga so helpful for my anxiety and mm. I was studying counseling. I was like really interested in how like it helped me. Mm -hmm. um, so that was one of the reasons I did it. I thought it was like a tool for my counseling toolbox. I, I mean, I think 
super insightful for you because yes and yes. And I always joke that I should have had some kind of psychology degree going into when I first started teaching Pilates because it's, it's a lot of one-on-one work, not so much group fitness. You don't get that same amount of personal time with people. And especially with like the lying down aspect of Pilates, like it's kind of like all of a sudden the words just start flowing out of people's mouths and you're like, okay, <laughs> like, I don't know what I have to add to that or, but that, you know, and you just become a really insanely good people person. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's so much humanity in that. So this is something I find super interesting. So, but before I ask you the question, not only were you in grad school, you were doing a 200 hour training and that's insane. You are the super student. I'm going to dub you super student because they're studying that you don't just do moves in your yoga teacher training. You are studying textbooks. You are reading the Baga. Oh God, I'm not even going to be able to say it. The uh, Bhagavad Gita, yeah. Yes, thank you. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Say that in Ayurvedic. Um, Yeah, no, okay. Like you should have heard me with my Sanskrit and my yoga teacher training. I was like, "Uh, I don't know. Okay, I don't know. (laughs) Down dog. There we go. (laughs) Luckily, you don't need Uh, Sanskrit so much anymore. (laughs) No, it's true. And you know what? Like I love that from dancing and I love that from the yoga. It's like, we don't need to get caught up in naming a position or a movement. Like who cares? Like when I took tap or hip hop, like you're, you're singing the beat. You're singing like, and I want to da 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 blah, blah. And it's like, Oh, okay. Like that's yeah. not a move. That was, but you know what, you know, like you're doing it, you're experiencing it. And that's more important than naming it something very precious. Um, but that's a sidebar a question for you and you just kind of tapped upon it of for yourself, like how much the yoga helped you while you were going through the counseling degree. Can you share like how that ties together in teaching and even running a studio and managing your teachers? Yeah. So psychology degree has definitely come in handy. I think a lot Um, just in kind of dealing. I opening a studio was totally naive to like, the, you know, the human psychology that would be involved in managing people mm-hmm. and in you know, customer service and all of that. Mm-hmm. And it, I definitely think it's come in handy in, in a lot of difficult situations. Um, you know, not that I have a lot of issues with customers, but sometimes there's been issues with, you know, different things and just kind of using that psychology to diffuse situations mm-hmm. and, um, it's kind of like de-escalate where I think like if I didn't have that background and training in, in counseling that I probably would have ended up like being maybe hit or <laughs> beat up in some way, maybe not escalating to that point, but like <laughs> no, I guess but stuff I, going there. Uh, dealing with humans is a thing, right? Like dealing with personalities and you're, you know, commenting on all of your degrees and kind of teasing before about it. You, you, to me, have the perfect combination of what, for like life. I think everybody needs to learn about how the body works because we're, we live in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's amazing how much we don't know how it works if we don't have some kind of class or training behind that. And then the psychology part, yes, of how to communicate, of how to diffuse a situation, of how to 
remind everybody we're all human. So when you get a nasty email or you get somebody that's unhappy or scared or hurt or emotionally hurt, it's a lot. It's taxing. Or they come in with a baggage from home because we all have baggage or we have all things going on outside of the studio. And then we haven't touched upon it, but the nutrition part, like you are really coming at teaching with such a toolbox, like a really good, um, really good toolbox. And when it comes to maybe customer service, because I'm sure a lot of new teachers out there don't quite realize yet, um, you get into fitness and wellness because it feels good for you. And then you want others to experience that and you want to help others feel good. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's the start. And then you realize, Oh, there's so much to that dealing and interacting with human beings and emotions and money and taking their, in their time and all in their lives. And then you get to know people, right? So there's so much, there's so much added to that. So if you could um, share maybe not top tips, I won't call it top tips. That sounds too catchphrasy, but like share some good tactics that you've, um, learned from your psychology background that you use in the studio with your clients? I think probably one of the most important things to do is to listen before Mm -hmm. and like actively listen and not think about how you're going to respond. I think it's, you know, it's easy to kind of get caught up in like, how am I going to reply to this? Or, you know, what, what do they, what are they really asking me? And I think, I think a lot of times people just want to be heard Mm -hmm. and, Um, you know, one of the things we learned in counseling is like being comfortable in those uncomfortable silences, right? So letting someone talk and then not replying right away, like kind of being silent and letting those couple seconds to a minute, which can feel really long in silence, just kind of sit there while you formulate a reply. And then also allowing that person to kind of feel like you heard them as opposed to like you were waiting to reply to them. I think that's, I think that's really important and really valuable because I just find that that has really helped me in not replying in a way that could escalate a situation because it also gives me that minute to kind of like take that deep breath and be like, okay, how do I want to reply to what this person just said to me? Um, And thinking about in that reply, like where they might be coming from. Like you had said before, like they're bringing their home life with them. They're bringing, you know, if they have money struggles or other struggles, like they're bringing that with them into the conversation and just kind of thinking about, you know, how that, how that may frame like their perspective of whatever it is, you know, their issue is with you, right. If it's maybe money or something like that. Um, However, those struggles might be framing that. So I think just taking that time to kind of really think about how someone else, you know, what lens they're viewing this Mm -hmm. interaction through. I think that's really helpful. I think that's an amazing, amazing tip for teachers in general, because a lot of times we might not be the studio owner, but our Mm -hmm. people come in and they're like, why couldn't I sign up? Or, you know, this is not working or mind body's doing this or, you know, so-and-so double parked or I don't know the music's too loud it's not always roses when when we're teachers and let's be honest like (laughs) 
most of the time it is. I love my clients. They're amazing. But there are people that maybe aren't so happy that day and they're not happy with you or they're not happy with the situation and they're taking it out on you. Mm -hmm. Um, So being able to sit there or they're complaining about politics or they're complaining about whatever it is and you don't agree or you don't have an answer. I mean, listening is key. And I always like love using the phrases of, I hear, oh, I hear what you're saying. Mm -hmm. So easy to say, I'm not agreeing. I'm not disagreeing. I'm not, oh, I hear what you're saying. And I can move on. Everyone can then move on because you're right. People want to be heard. And that is just comforting. Number one for anybody. And, or like, I will say, oh, interesting. Okay. I'm, I'm not really sure. I'll get back to you. I'll find out for you. It's okay not to know too. Mm-hmm. You know, why is this not working? You know, I'm not really sure. I'll get back to you. I'll make sure I email so-and-so right after this, or I'll take it up with the boss or whatever. Well, don't worry. We'll, we'll fix it. It's again, telling this person, I hear you and I'm doing something about it. Um, and that way for our own energy and, you know, when you're saying like learning to be uncomfortable in those uncomfortable pauses, it's also not taking on that, whatever it is, the story, the issue, the frustration into yourself, right? And especially as group teachers, it's a lot of people in the room. It's a lot of stories happening and it can be really easy to take it so personally. And I think that can hinder our teaching right? And it's like, it could be very upsetting or it could be emotionally draining, even if it's exciting stuff, Mm -hmm. right? It's like, there's so much energy exchanging. And I think that's an amazing tip of listening, right? And especially it sounds funny because we're talking most of the time in our classroom. Yeah, that's true. That 15 minutes or five minutes before or in the five to 15, whatever, however many minutes after class, Oh, they'll, you know, I, I mean, if anyone's listening to this, <laughs> not if anybody, for my listeners listening to this, I mean, you can raise your hand wherever you're listening and how many times have your clients come after you after class and talk to you about everything, about their life, about class, about whatever it is. I mean, it's also taking a social interaction and condensing to such a small period of time and it's can be a lot when you're like, I'm hungry, I need the bathroom, I got another class, or I got to go to the next studio, or whatever. <laughs> it like heightens it. It's like, it can be, can be a lot. And listening is key to all relationships, right, Crystal? <laughs> yes, it really is. Listening and validating, like you said, like, you don't have to agree with them. And a lot of times, like, you may not agree with them, but just that validation of like, I can understand how that might be really frustrating. You know, I'm sorry to hear mm-hmm. that. I think, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that was really key. Okay. We solved the world problems, Crystal, with yep. that one. <laughs> 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 oh my goodness. So when did bar come into play for you? Sure. So bar kind of came into play around 2008 for me. Um, I actually had a um, lower back injury. And I had an x-ray. They weren't really sure what was wrong. There was some compression in my lower back. So I ended up seeing an orthopedist who told me that my spine was too flexible and Mm -hmm. that I needed to gain like more strength. And um, he at that time had recommended that I try Pilates, which 
I wasn't really crazy about Pilates. I liked the movements, but for me, I just felt like it was just too slow. Um, All good. That's such a yoga Pilates, like, dual. Like, not many Pilates people do yoga, and not many yoga people do Pilates. It's changed a little bit, but, you know, no no offense taken all around for the Pilates people. (laughs) Actually, I like Pilates more now than I did then. It was just, I don't know if it was, like, the quiet with my thoughts while Mm. feeling, like, because yoga is, you kind of, or at least the type I do, like, flow yoga is, like, you're continuously moving, where I feel like at that time, the Pilates was much more stationary and probably too stationary for me at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, I agree. I mean, I was classically trained and mm -hmm. there was no such thing as music. And I play music now in the background again for not for distraction and not to go to the beat, but to kind of fill up that space for people if they don't want to be alone with their thoughts. Cause again, Mm -hmm. you're lying down and you know you're just like staring at the ceiling and you are moving but it it has an effect where things can get emotional or you start thinking about things or it's uncomfortable and you're you can't see anybody or the teacher <laughs> it's weird yep, no totally and I think that was what at that point I was like I can't do this this is like too intense for me yeah. uh, emotionally for yeah. sure um so I actually through that process of trying a few Pilates classes um stumbled upon bar um, actually online. And I was just like, wow, this is absolutely amazing. Like it reminded me somewhat of Pilates, but it was faster and mm-hmm. it had music and it was to the beat. And I was like, wow, this is, I, I love this. I have to have more of it in my life. Kind <laughs> <laughs> of the point where I was just kind of hooked right away. I would say that I wouldn't say it took over from yoga, but it definitely, you know, had a huge, you know, took a big chunk of that yoga time, went to bar at that point. Sure. Which is natural too. And if anyone's doing the timeline here, you had done your grad school in 2000, your yoga training in 2007, right? Yep. Yeah. So if anyone's doing the timeline in of Crystal's education, we are on (laughs) certification training number. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Right. It's so great. It's so great. But I mean, that desire to keep learning and then making the connections. And that's kind of what I'm getting at with teasing you is that everything you're doing is so connected, even if it from the outside seems so disconnected of, oh, exercise science and psychology. Oh my goodness. No, so connected the mind and the body and, you know, the yoga and then into the bar. I mean, such a yin and a yang, um, that fusion, but can you share your thoughts on fusing yoga and bar, how they complement each other and like what your beliefs are behind why they work so well in that yin and yang type of thing? Yeah, sure. So I think personally yoga and bar are really the perfect complement to each other. Um, like bar brings in that strength aspect and it really focuses on like, you know, all of the little muscles that support the joints. And um, then yoga really focuses on like stretching for sure, but then the flow aspect of it, um, yoga kind of focuses more on the front line of the body, so to speak. So like, you know, the abs and the chest and the front of the thighs, it's very heavy, like heavily focused Mm -hmm. on strengthening that side of the body where bars kind of focus more on strengthening the back line of the body, right? You do a lot of seat Mm -hmm. work and a lot more back work. So Mm -hmm. that way it's balanced. Yoga is very relaxing and you focus on the breathing, but I guess at the same time, bar can be like that too, right? Like I, even though it's more high energies, 
it's still like for me after a bar class, I feel really kind of like relaxed and, you know, in a great mental space and, you know, not everyone does this, but I teach bar to like, I coordinate the breath with the movements too, um, which I think is more Pilates based probably. Um, Sure. But even like the vinyasa flow, it's to mm -hmm. place in a special way to, you know, you're seamlessly connecting movement in a thoughtful way and with your breath. I mean, this is when you know you've been teaching too many things for too long is that when you start to define them, it's like, well, actually they're the same thing. They're just the same thing. And it becomes a little bit more about your philosophy and pedagogy behind it. And less about, again, the specific position, pose, move, or combo, right? It mm-hmm. becomes more about your own theory. So could you explain maybe your theory behind your own teaching? Yeah. So <laughs> sorry, I know I'm really digging in. I know psychology really, degree. I was like, <laughs> you know what? I can I can put no. <laughs> really heavy <laughs> your brain in there, my theory behind my teaching. Um so I it doesn't have to be perfect. You can be yeah. like, I don't know, Michelle, leave me alone. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, I think my theory mostly behind my teaching is that, like, obviously, like, you know, I, I plan based on and I use like science and exercise science and all that in my planning, but really, like the philosophy behind my teaching and the theory behind it is, I just want everyone to have a good time. And I want them to leave class feeling like they enjoyed themselves, right? Like, I don't want them to feel like they just got an anatomy lesson. And I don't Mm -hmm. want them to feel like, like, obviously, they're going to feel like class was hard. I mean, bars usually always hard. Um, mm. But I don't want them to feel like it's something they can't do. So I guess I would say my theory is just really that um, the bars for everyone, right? And I know that that's something that um, you post a lot about. And I think that's really one of the things that, um, you know, I connected with looking at your Instagram is, mm. you know, that bar is for everyone. And it's not really something that's kind of like a prescription for one type of person and I think that it definitely has gotten that rap over the last however many years since it's kind of like been more popular Mm -hmm. um and uh yeah so I don't know if that's where you were going with theory but that's I I'll take it that's perfect (laughs) it 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 feels good and it's okay that if it's like your your main mission is to have fun with Mm -hmm. movement and we, again, that's something we can kind of forget about when we're going through the learning process of our certifications and our trainings and our workshops. And then we get into the room and like, so focused on the moves mm. and we forget that it's not for us, number one, for the, te- you know, it's not for the teacher in that hour. It's for the people coming. And if it's fun, they're going to want to come more. And if it's fun and they're moving in a, you know, proper anatomical way and it feels good and it challenges them in all the right places you know physically and mentally because they didn't think they could do it before I mean bonus 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 right it's like everybody wins and it's fun like why does it have to be I'm with you Pilates was very boring when I first started it but if you were able to find like somebody you connect with and that goes for any movement you like it because it was fun it was enjoyable you're not going to do something because you're like ah. I hate this. That's what, excuse me, but physical therapy is for, for a lot of people. Like you don't go to physical therapy because you're having a good time. 
hopefully you're going to have a good time because your physical therapist is amazing. But <laughs> this is where those yeah. fitness classes come in. You know, it's like usually you're going to physical therapy because you hurt yourself and you don't want to go and whatever. Yeah. So it's, it's okay for it to be fun and to be playful. And, you know, that's something we can always remind ourselves of being, it's, it's for everybody and it, Hey, it's movement. And let's just jam out to this playlist because it's great. Like, and it can seem frivolous and it can seem silly, but we know all of your credentials. We know all of our own background and stories and trainings and experience. And it's all so valid. And, you know, what a pleasure we get to be facilitators of that. Like I get to play all day. Mm-hmm. Yay. And I get to talk to people on a podcast. Why not? Who cares? You know, <laughs> so, and, it, and I have to remind myself, like, it doesn't always like, I'm like you and, you know, I have a, a bunch of trainings and not degrees, but like, am I even my dancing? Everything was so serious. Everything mm-hmm. I was doing was so serious and the type of performing I would do the type of choreography everything was so heavy I still have to remind myself like girl go take a class for fun where you're not analyzing your own body where you're not trying to master this move and the perfect technique just just have fun so I think that's an amazing that's what's so great about fitness is like group fitness can be fun right it's not like necessarily focused on a specific goal like even meeting with a personal trainer and and like I am a personal trainer and I see private clients but I feel like to some extent that can be less enjoyable because you're you know doing these certain moves because you have a specific goal where group fitness can be movement just for the fun of it and that's Mm -hmm. I think what makes it so amazing I definitely was not born in the right time I should have been born in the early 80s with the high-waisted leotards and just (laughs) silly, silly aerobics classes. Like I really missed out in my <laughs> my life. No, I'm kidding. But I think of that, like you go back and you watch those videos, they're moving their body in all directions. They're sweating, they're moving, they're working their muscles and it's freaking fun. Like yeah. I was, but you know, the more, you know, and the more technical you get, like obviously it sterilizes it a lot, but I think we can kind of pull from those early eighties days of uh sweatbands and high sneakers with high tops and just jamming it out with a little knee lift yeah no for <laughs> sure that sounds amazing we should bring that <laughs> I know totally. I'm too goofy for that like I taught jazz classes for years that was like that was like my equivalent of like 80s aerobics life and I, I miss it and sometimes I really do it's just you know whatever the time that you have to teach those classes it's afternoon evenings and that's not a reality for me right now in my life but oh I lived for those jazz classes I was like potboring all day I'm like oh it was so great um but yeah so anyway <laughs> let's bring it back yeah <laughs> more and more popcorn. and that's always like the I don't know if you find this too like I, the battle between like overly choreographed classes and more like improvisational or like circuity type classes yes and, you know there's the, and there's room for everything but I like encourage my choreographers to like get those people moving across the floor Mm -hmm. I want to see what that looks like I want to see you know not just squat two times the side I want to see those shots across the floor like (laughs) (laughs) 
that's where it's at. I mean, <laughs> I think that's what I miss most about teaching the jazz is the across the floor. Yeah. You're just <laughs> having the performance of a lifetime on your own. It's great. <laughs> Sounds wonderful. <laughs> now, can you share, um, you know, when you opened your studio, I think we're skipping over a few degrees, but, uh, yeah, when, <laughs> when did you open um, Why To Be Fit? Sure. So um, as you mentioned, my son was born in 2014, which seems so long ago now. I don't know where time goes, but um, when he was born, I kind of, I had been teaching classes at a um, few different studios at that point. And I had a full-time job that was, you know, a totally different career. And I kind of decided at that point that I wanted to like <clears throat> jump ship on my full-time career and teach classes full-time and, you know, see mm-hmm. private clients, which I started doing, I think 2015, early 2015, after my son was born, he was born in October of 2014. Um, so at that point I started why to be fit online. I was doing like virtual classes and um, I really started focusing on postnatal fitness. That was really like, my passion mm-hmm. and it's really still my passion but that's kind of where I started I was doing it online I was teaching it at a few different studios jumped up from like when I had the full-time job I was teaching like six classes a week part-time and then jumped up when my son was about five months old to teaching about uh, I think it was 17 classes a week mm-hmm. and and uh, seeing private clients and had the online stuff and I did that for about a year and I just felt like I was driving around to so many different studios. One of them was an hour away. I was spending so much time in the car mm-hmm. and I was like, I really just want a space where people can come <laughs> and I can like, <laughs> so that was kind of how I got to opening the studio. It mm-hmm. happened really quick. It wasn't something that I like planned out over a long period of time. I literally was kind of, I would say, we opened in 2016 in the physical space. So I would say like, maybe like April, early April in 2016, I was like, I think I want to open a space. And then I found one on Craigslist and went and looked at it and signed a lease a month later. Um, Get it done, girl. Yeah, it was like (laughs) crazy looking back on it. Like I just like went for it. And then we opened in July um, of 2016 which I, you know, looking back, I was not ready for that because I had never, like, you know, I didn't go to school for business. I have no, you know, had no, you know, management background or anything like that. Just kind of like my love and passion for teaching and wanting to kind of make a community around that. And yeah, that's kind of how we got where we are. That's that's amazing. And, you know, there's so much to be said on the job learning and, you know, it works for some and not for others, but sometimes you have to be that crazy to jump into it because maybe if you knew everything, you'd be like, no, I'm good. (laughs) That is true. Like looking back, I'm like, I knew what I know. If I would have done that, that was crazy. (laughs) Well, and also you were um, streaming online. You're probably an earlier adopter in the streaming space because um, we're going to get into some pandemic (laughs) talk in a moment, but even as early as two years ago in 2018, you were either on YouTube or you were not. Mm -hmm. You either had, you were either teaching in person and that was it, or you were teaching online. Mm -hmm. And 
even that was still kind of like not being done by everybody, right? It was not as popular. So, you know, when this airs, we're probably still in our COVID-19 isolation, depending on where you are in the country. Uh, I myself are in, is, you know, in New York City, you're in Philadelphia. We are both in big cities and certainly hot spots. That's where our uh, shelter in place keeps getting postponed and postponed, you know, right now as we're, uh, I'm just going to say filming, we're not filming, as we're recording this, you know, they say June 15th, but they also said May 15th, and they also said April 15th, so here we are, probably still sheltering in place as we're airing this podcast episode. Can you, uh, geez, I'm I'm so ready, I think we're all ready, but, um, you know, before we go back into talking about the live streaming and how that has changed and what you see from that let's talk about how the pandemic has affected your brick and mortar business yeah so i mean it's definitely been a wild ride since march we were um ordered to close officially march 16th but i pretty much had a feeling that was coming for at least a week before that because yeah things started getting really intense and you know we had all of these cleaning protocols that I was trying to put in place with mm-hmm. you know, heavy cleaning and all that, which, and people, you know, clients were getting very nervous and classes were kind of like dying off because people weren't coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, you know, we closed on March 16th with the initial um, understanding that it would be two weeks, right. which. And, look, and let's just say like, what an awkward thing to be doing like the cleaning protocol, because most places have already have a cleaning protocol. So it implies that you're not clean enough. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that's scary. And the same thing happened to the studio I was teaching at and okay. Like, well, what more can you do besides literally drop a bomb in the middle of the place that Mm -hmm. will sanitize the entire thing between each class? Like, how do you, how do you do that without already doing what you were already doing, which was probably enough maybe mm-hmm. but you know then we're talking about close proximity with a lot of people and that's different and we didn't know that information then but um yeah it was it felt like overnight but I agree with you it was like kind of like a week in the making so when it happened it, yeah it was just kind of like major shutdown so sorry keep going no no that's fine no you're absolutely right like it was it you know it definitely had that like gave that idea to people that we weren't cleaning enough because now we were like wiping everything down, like, you know, once an hour and, you know, making a big deal about make sure you wipe down everything. And we were wiping down like, you know, all the hard surfaces, like you don't normally wipe down like the front desk counter, like, you know, eight times. times. Yeah. (laughs) It looks like it's a little intense. Um, But yeah, so we initially thought it would be two weeks. I mean, I knew it probably would be longer, but that was what our initial order was. Right. that turned into six weeks, which was the end of April, which then mm-hmm. turned into um, now we are officially ordered closed until June 4th. But it's, I think the order is like um, June 4th, at least it's not like we can open June 4th. And sure, then and that's phase one. And I think in New York, we're phase four for opening gym exactly. facilities. Yeah. So we can't open in, in the first phase of reopening. So Ours is June 4th at the earliest to move into phase one. We cannot open Mm -hmm. in phase one. So I know we won't be opening June 4th, um, Mm -hmm. even if phase one happens. But 
so yeah, it's just been really intense um, that way. <laughs> yeah. And so what, <laughs> I know it, it, it's the big sigh at the end. Like if I could yeah. not hear certain words again, like I, I don't, even the word novel, I think in the last podcast, I, I listed all the words I never want to hear again, like quarantine <laughs> and social distancing, but I don't think I included novel. Mm. Um, I'll never, it just, it's triggering. It's, yeah. it's hard. It's hard. And it's hard to be in such a big country where it's different for every city. It's different for every state, depending on how people, literally how people live. Like, are you in a high rise? Like I'm in a big building and people have had it in my building. So being pregnant and then having a baby, you don't touch anything. Mm -hmm. And then that means, okay, well, I'm not going into any stores because, well, hundreds and hundreds of people in my neighborhood go into that store, which means I'm in contact with hundreds if not thousands before the subway basically shut down, it's shut down overnight, but you know, stop doing that. Cause it's like, how, like, how can I reduce my circle? And so, yeah, obviously things had to kind of close and, but it's also with my husband and I, if we were talking about this today, even if they weren't ordered to close what you said before, people weren't coming, mm-hmm. people weren't coming. So it was already affecting businesses like, hours that are in person, socially close, physical, you're physically near someone, even maybe touching with assisting them or whatever, if you're a massage therapist or whatever that is, like manipulating your client's movements. And yeah, people are like, well, I don't, how can I not be in contact with that many people? Okay. Well, if I don't go to my studio, that's going to eliminate like hundreds of people. Mm-hmm. that you could potentially even contact. So after closing, what changes were initially made and are making now? Yeah. So um, luckily I still had my like on-demand online studio from when I had started that back in 2015. So I still had mm-hmm. like, a library of videos. Um, so before we closed on the 16th, probably that initial week before that, I kind of was trying to plan out like what it was going to look like because I knew it was coming. Mm -hmm. Um, so we had the on-demand library and we scheduled our first live stream class for March 17th, which was the day after we closed. So we were able to make it happen that quickly, which I know a lot of studios weren't and a lot of instructors weren't. So I definitely Mm -hmm. feel like we were lucky and kind of ahead of the curve that way. Mm -hmm. Um, so I would say that's kind of the changes that we made. We're still doing that. So we still have, um, live streaming classes, but I think we're holding, I think we have 12 a week. We have like two Mm -hmm. every day during the weekdays and then one on the weekends and then our, um, on-demand classes. Yeah. And I, I like you also had a a platform and was already streaming. And so for bar variations, it, it wasn't a big change. I mean, minus my in-person teaching will, pretty much be non-existent this year like there there's no travel happening Mm -hmm. and if it does happen you know I'm sure I'm not the first on people's list to to come do a training you know what I mean and rightfully so like it's not first on my list it's my family's first on my list but um yeah it was a hard hard switch because of all the technology that goes into it 
it is way more draining to teach online than it is to teach in person because of all of the preparation and post-production that has to be done. Even if you're simply editing front and back of the video or uploading it, you have to wait, but you know, there could be more steps that you do with that, but then being able to email it out to clients, the replay and making sure everybody has access that needs access and depending on what platform you're using, it's a lot more work. <laughs> so, um, you know, and even if you're ahead of the curve, I've seen a lot of people take a pause, my studio included, they were fortunate enough to be able to hold off and making any initial plans just to kind of see what was going on and what the clients would want. And I don't know about Philadelphia and other places, but New York City in the summertime pretty much empties out. Yep. Not for everybody, but if it doesn't empty out, it's a pretty slow time where people are doing things more outdoors because, well, we're on the East Coast and that's the time to do it. It's in the summer. So the studios are much quieter. Mm -hmm. um, so it's also not an, even an ideal time to like reopen with a bang of like, here we're back. You know, it's going to still be a slow process of people you know, getting over the fear of coming in. Um, so what do you, you know, what are the biggest challenges now for your business? And then what are the biggest challenges you foresee even reopening? Yeah. So, I mean, one of the biggest challenges is like you just mentioned is now that we're going into summer, kind of that competition with the outside mm -hmm. um, is always every summer, right? I know yeah. for, for us, our slow, slowest months are always June, July, and August. And, mm -hmm. you know, I'm always prepared for that every year. And it's, you know, it's nice to have a quiet summer um, to some extent. But I, even in the last couple weeks, have noticed with the live stream classes, there's been a lot of less people in attendance. And I think it's because we're competing with going outside. Because if, you know, I had a choice between taking an indoor bar class or taking a walk outside when it's 70 degrees, I probably would walk outside too. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that kind of, makes it a little bit scarier about reopening because, you know, you worry like who's going to come back and are they going, you know, are they going to come back because it is summer? Um, and, you know, if they don't come back in the summer because they are, you know, outside or because they're fearful, um, rightfully so, that they might get sick, um, will they ever come back? So I think that's definitely really scary. And, yeah, and do you, do you see if, um, or like foresee a challenge? Cause I, I've seen a lot of, um, price different differences, you know, from anything from keeping the same packages that were going in person to no charge at all. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, depending on what works for everybody, but do you foresee maybe issues, you know, in losing that clientele or maybe not losing the clientele of, them wanting to stay out, maybe just streaming or whatever it is, do you foresee an issue with price point reopening? Because I've also seen now that some people are opening, you know, with less, you can only have X amount of people. So the prices have had to been raised because they need to keep the doors open in a brick and mortar where online it's a lot different. You still have overhead. Let's be honest about that. You have to have your pay for your streaming services and all of the tools that go into making the magic happen. Um, but do you foresee an issue with pricing on both platforms, live stream and in person? I do. I mean, I definitely think that like, you know, the online classes definitely, you know, are cheaper. And I, you know, I see for to some extent why, because obviously, you know, we don't have 
there's definitely overhead, but it's not the overhead of rent, which I think rent is probably the craziest overhead there is mm -hmm, <laughs> mm -hmm. for, you know, for studios. Um, so I can see why the classes are less expensive online, but I definitely think that now that um, clients are introduced to online fitness, because I think many people were, you know, unsure about working out online. So they weren't really trying it and they were mm -hmm. coming in person because that felt like, you know, the standard and the norm. And I think now that they're more familiar with working out online, I think there will definitely be a competition of them coming back to into the studio because how convenient is it to, you know, work out in your pajamas, get up two minutes before class and take class and, you know, just kind of like already be home. And it's a lot less expensive. So I think that's definitely probably going to, you know, a lot of people are going to prefer that and want to stick with it. Um, yeah, and a lot of companies are even moving towards uh, people working from home full time. Mm -hmm. I know tw Twitter just did it, and it's going to be an option, even if it's part of the week, that people will be at home. And you're right, it's now another offering that people are introduced to that weren't already home users, right? Like mm -hmm. people who were already on YouTube or working out to their, you know, old school DVDs and VHSs. Yeah. Um, they were already doing that, right? That's a, it was a totally different camp, and now the camps have crossed, and it's a gray area where there's even more options. So, yeah, how do you compete with that? And, uh, you know, kind of what does that mean for your own studio, like having a brick and mortar, or is, is it not? You know, it's, it poses a lot of questions for, for people that I think that obviously weren't going to be posed before this. And, you know, if you're in person, you have to have that rent. Yeah. Prices are probably going to have to go up. And, you know, I, it seems so distant, but it was not so distant long ago. And this is a whole issue of accessibility, right? Like mm -hmm. getting in when I was teaching Pilates is, oh, well, Pilates is only for a certain population and demographic that could afford it. Mm -hmm. And classes were very expensive because they were semi-privates. There was no such thing as a group reformer class 10 years ago eight mm -hmm. years ago, six years ago, there was no such thing. And if it was, it was like very taboo. It was mm -hmm. very small. It was one-on-one -on -one, and then semi-private was like four or less and four was even crazy. And same with when, you know, yoga was like a group class, fine, fine. But you could pack how many people? I mean, some of those yep. studios in New York City, you're packing a hundred people in an LA studio, you know? So it's, you can play with the numbers a bit more if you if you're expecting 50 30 people in a class but now if you're having seven six five four what does that price look like right i mean that's such a challenging question for a studio owner and even an individual if you're teaching one-on-one -on -one, you know and it's not something huge in bar it's definitely a yoga and pilates thing to teach one-on-one -on -one sessions and I've taught virtually before this one-on-one -on -one sessions, but like movement sessions. And there was never a question of lowering my rate, you know, mm -hmm. it was still that personalized attention. And, you know, I hope I to see that happen in bar where people are comfortable to take a one-on-one -on -one bar session as like a, you know, and that can be another offering and it might have to be, you know, <laughs> for some people if you're not getting that many clients back. So huge challenge that we're faced as an industry of going back to a place of kind of being exclusive, kind of being boutique, right? When the whole boutique fitness boom happened, mm -hmm. 
prices were high. Hi. They're coming full circle. It's, it's so strange, but it's true. It is so strange. It is so, yeah, you're right. It is like full circle. Now to bring it on the positive, because we don't want to be like, want want like because yeah. <laughs> we because we don't have all the answers we're just kind of posing scenarios and questions um but what are like the biggest discoveries that you're finding during this time with your business or teaching discoveries do you mean as far as like tools and techniques or yeah tools and techniques or like something that like you thought you couldn't do that you can now do or something that your clients are really enjoying like for example, like my biggest discovery through this um, were, were like my fears and my own offerings and my, it was like, oh, I kept saying I need to lean into this more mm-hmm. and I was just making excuses and the more I lean into the things that align with me and the things that I like doing that are fun and also, you know, rewarding and challenging are what work. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, and also discovering, I don't need to be tinkering around for so many hours, especially now having a child, Mm -hmm. don't have the hours. And more so I've discovered that being more an essentialist of picking exactly the one thing to do in that one moment, you know, being hyper-focused with my productivity doesn't mean I'm more working more hours. I'm working way I'm working like zero compared to what I, I mean what you were saying before working like 17 plus hours you know, plus your one-on-one clients you know people are probably like oh my god that's crazy I was right there with you teaching 25 30 wow. 35 hours a week I'm working less than ever and I'm getting more I feel like I'm getting so much more out of it and that's a great discovery so the discovery like that or just something like oh, I never thought my clients would do X and they are or whatever. Yeah, no, I mean, I think one of the biggest discoveries I've had is kind of like how much you can lean on your community and how they'll really support you. I think like one of my biggest fears through this was, you know, we would close and we would offer online classes and no one would come. Like they would all just be gone here. Mm. And I think like just having that support system and having people say, you know, like we're here to support you and we'll stick with you through this has been like a really amazing experience for me. Um, because Mm -hmm. I really just like, you know, like I've always known about the power of community, but I've never really experienced the power of community. And Mm -hmm. it's really, really been like an amazing and enlightening thing to kind of have people really stick with you and say like, we want to support you through this. And, um, you know, like we believe in this community and want to be part of it. So I think that's definitely been been something. It's huge, huge. And like you and I met online. And so when all of this is happening and there's so many like things that are now virtual, like I, I'm in a mom's group that's virtual. And, um, and I, I, I was like, so excited, not excited that this is happening. Trust me, I was not excited for this to happen. Yeah. <laughs> but it's exciting in a different way to watch the communities grow because I knew that was the, it's the pillar of my business is mm-hmm. community. And I had to make that happen for myself in order to offer it to others. 
I had to reach out to people and get uncomfortable with putting myself out there and being like, hi, my name is Michelle. I really like what you're doing. I'd love to collaborate with you. Blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Hey, we should chat. Let's get on the phone. This is how the podcast started. Hey, I would love to know more about you. You know, so yeah. it's so powerful. And I'm so excited that more of that is coming out of this. And, mm-hmm. you know, although we're, you know, whatever the corny, I'm going to like tear up because I'm like emotionally and hormonal, but like the, we're in this together, like we're apart, but we're not alone and all of that. Like, it's so, so true. And thank goodness we're in a time period. We have the technology to FaceTime, to Mm -hmm. Zoom, to get online and continue that community and foster it and cultivate it and do all of the things to for our emotional well-being because as you know that human connection is so it's more about that than it is about the movement absolutely it really is like it's especially I feel like in group fitness and bar like it's so much more about the community and bringing people together to you know collectively move than it is about the actual movement itself yeah movement is movement right and like movement can be the movement it's like the revolution or whatever it's like it's it can be really um powerful and especially you know, if you're living in a place that is very strict on their restrictions and, you know, you feel like you're trapped or you feel, you know, and I, you know, reaching out to your friends that live alone or, you know, your family members that are older and live alone or can't, or in the hospital and can't see people, you know, and it, it just validates more and more like, it's funny because like, I feel like our social media and you know, before that the conversation was like, Oh, you know, even though we're so technology connected, we're so disconnected. Mm. And I want to believe that that's so not true. And this is proving that, that people are really leaning into like the house party app and the FaceTiming their family all the time. And how important that is sending voice messages, sending pictures and being more actually more connected. Mm-hmm. And then realizing productivity wise, you really need to be at work 40 hours a week. You can still get your job done. I mean, I think a lot of companies are realizing, do I need all these people in an office that maybe we can't afford anymore? Yeah. Or, yeah. or don't want to afford anymore because mm-hmm. we can make more money by having people at home. I mean, it really, I think there's going to be a lot of, you know, sad things coming out of this, but it's also just really like showing like humanity is pretty to awesome. <laughs> no, I'm right there with you. Um, so I know we've been chatting for a long time. This brings me to my herd at the bar. So now our virtual bar, right? So I don't know if you um, hold chats before or after your classes. I've been encouraging some of my coaching clients to do this, but are there things that you're hearing at the virtual bar that you'd like to either debunk or bring some truth to? Hmm. So I guess something, something I've been hearing at the virtual bar is pretty much anything can be a prop. Yes. <laughs> you do not need weights. You do not need resistance bands or balls or anything that you would use in bar. Like pretty much anything around the house can be used as a prop. <laughs> Yeah, it's making people very creative, which also gets my excitement up. And um, do you have a favorite weird home product that is used as a prop? Do you have a favorite one? 
Um, well, so far I've been really enjoying using hand towels. <laughs> yeah. For, like, um, instead of resistance bands, like I would have never thought to like use a hand towel for resistance, but not that it's like super weird or out there or anything, but it's like, they actually really are effective. And I've been like, yeah, <laughs> the last couple of weeks, I've really been like working them into like almost all my classes. Cause I'm like, this is really awesome. Like I don't even put resistance band in the um, email anymore. I'm like, get a hand towel. If you have a resistance yeah. band, great, but use a hand towel. <laughs> um, I will, I don't know if you know about the Fletcher Pilates towel. It's a red bra braided towel. It, it, so if you're using towels a lot, um, they don't pay me. I'm not a Fletcher Pilates trained person, but I've used this towel before. It's braided, so it has a little bit of give. Mm -hmm. Ama amazing. It's amazing. I think you'll love it. So if you're using hand towels. I love gear. So if you're into like getting more at home <laughs> equipment, yeah. I got the Fletcher towel. Um, I uh, yeah, my my favorite. Uh, I saw somebody use a pair of tights for a resistance. Band. I was like, yeah, duh, that's amazing. No, absolutely. <laughs> I I love it. I love it. Um, and then my last question for you: What's in your bar now? We've kind of um, Lauren Lavelle, the other Philadelphian that uh, was on the podcast. She has up leveled my "What's in Your Bar" uh, segment to opening it up to snack bar mm. and oh there was another bar um anyways that means the last episode I'll have to remember it but any, any kind of bar like what's in your snack bar drink bar whatever mm. bar okay so I would say I've not a big drinker probably until the stay-at-home order not that I'm a big drinker <laughs> probably, <definitely laughs> probably drinking more alcohol than I have in the last five years you're um, not alone. <laughs> yep. And that's probably me drinking like two nights a week now. I mean, it's not excessive by any means, but um, probably like, you know, we used to joke about how like alcohol would sit in our refrigerator for like six months to a year because we would never drink it, but now it's going faster. Um, but I would say what's in my bar. Um, I'll keep it with alcohol since it's been kind of an alcohol related time, <laughs> but uh, drinking, um, Lots of mimosas, just because mm. I think they're they're really good and they're sweet. Every and, uh, every day can be brunch. Every yeah. day can be brunch when you're working at home. <laughs> I brunch every day working at home. I, I love it. We are doing. Um, we've been doing a lot of Lacroix, which is very like annoyingly Brooklyn hipster, but like we keep ordering these seltzer waters. And like now we have rules because I get jealous if there's like not one left and we're like, no, only one a day. No, only you can, you can only have six and I can only have six. And I'm like, we have a problem. And there's even like LaCroix cocktails. I've not ventured into drinking yet uh, postpartum uh, more so because we can't have, there is no babysitter. And I quite frankly don't feel like pumping and I don't yeah. that much. I, I'm nursing, but like, I'm like, ah, oh, that's a lot of effort for one drink. That's going to get me pretty drunk. Like, I'm not sure I'm ready. Um, so, yes, it's the Lacroix uh, for me. But, hey, I like the mimosas. Every day is brunch day. Brunch yep. at the bar. <laughs> at the bar. Hey, so, you, you can, can even bring it into your classes. Yep. 
<laughs> we used to do an event that was bar and brunch. So here we, yeah. Hey, <laughs> if anyone's looking, anyone's looking for a special event idea for their client appreciation, here it is: brunch and bar. <laughs> Sounds wonderful. Do you have a I, too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. In oh, in your pajamas. Yeah. Um, so good. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of your amazing knowledge and experience and your story with us. Um, can you let the listeners know where to find and follow you? Sure. And thank you so much for having me on. This has been a pleasure. Um, so find me couple different places. So um, on website is y2bfit.com. So that's the letter Y, the number two, the letter B, fit.com. Um, Instagram would probably be our main place for social media. So it's at y2bfitstudio, or you can also follow me at Crystal Widman um, with two N's. And then, or also on Facebook, would be at Y2B Fitness on Facebook. So that should be just about it. That's about the only places that we really post regularly. Amazing. Well, thank you again. Thank you so much. It's been wonderful. Thank you everybody for tuning in. If you'd like to write into the podcast, send an email to info at barvariations.com. You can follow us all over social media at Bar Variations. You can also visit the website at www.barvariations.com where you will find show notes, archive episodes, and more. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts.